So after the excitement of last week's Rugby World Cup episode, this week we chat about a group of birds that in South Africa are not quite as colourful as the green and gold birds that we spoke about last week. But still, this is a group of birds that many birders love and often produces some amazing twitches in our region. You might have guessed it, but we are chatting about waders. I have a chat with Rick Simpson all the way from the United Kingdom, who is one of the co-founders of WaderQuest. We chat about awesome waders from all around the world, work being done to conserve them, and we found out more about this weekend's Wader Conservation World Watch event. In the episode, he mentions Fancy Peacock's Waders book, and he says that this is one of the best Wader books that you can own. The good news is that this title, as well as Fancy Peacock's other books, are all available on the Birding Life's online store. Head on over to the website and order your copy today. We're also excited to be partnering with Sankop during season eight of the podcast. One of the coolest ways that you can support them is by supporting their Adopt a Penguin program. Simply go onto the Sankop website and get all the details. We'll pop a link in the notes to the show. If you get any value from the podcast, this is a great way to show your support. My name is Adam and I'm the host of this proudly South African birding podcast. This podcast is your number one source of news about birds, birders, destinations, conservation gear, books, and anything that we think birders would want to hear about. Bring your life to your garden this summer with Westerman's Wild Bird Seed, a delicious seed mix attracting a variety of wild birds to your garden. Founded at various pet and lifestyle retailers across South Africa, online and in-store, Westerman's for the love of birds. So, without further ado, let's kick off this week's Wader episode. So I'm having a chat to Rick Simpson from WaderQuest, and we're going to hear all about the Wader Conservation World Watch in this episode. So welcome to the show, Rick. It's good to have you back on the Birding Life podcast. Well, thank you very much for having me back again. I appreciate it. So it's been a long time since we had you on the show before. I can't remember when last we had you. So for the sake of listeners who haven't listened to the previous episode, tell us a little bit about who you are. Well, I'll, I'll do my very best to be succinct. Um, so, yeah, my name's Rick Simpson, and uh, together with my wife, Elise, who originates from Brazil, um, we, uh, we became very concerned about um, uh, waders around the world, and in particular, it all really started with the Spoonbill Sandpiper. And uh, we kind of decided that we ought to really do something about it. But I've been a birder all my life. I mean, I can't remember a time when I wasn't looking at birds because birds were attracted to my garden uh, by my older brother and, and parents when I was young. So I've always had birds in my life. Um, so, you know, there have been sort of epiphany moments or th- moments where I can remember very clearly when things changed and when things became more important. And probably relevant to, to what we do now, one of those moments was um, back in I must have been five, six, seven years old, and I, I looked in a book and saw a picture of a northern lapwing, because we just called them lapwings in those days, and I just fell in love with this picture, and I, and I was able to sort of say to my brother, oh, "What? Look at that! I know we don't get them in the garden. You know, I'd love to see one of those." And again, back in those days, it was possible for young kids to jump on a bike and go off into the countryside and. He took me to see some lapwings, and I was beguiled by them. I, I just 
couldn't get enough of them. You know, the way they all seem to run around in opposite directions and without seeming to be aware of anything else, like people on a mobile phone in the high street, you know, the sort of thing. And then suddenly with something scared them, they would all go up as one and fly around as, as if they were just one being. And it was just absolutely entrancing for a young lad. And then, of course, there were the calls that they made, which some of you may not be familiar with, but those who are lucky enough to have northern lapwings breeding near them, they're just incredible birds. Of course, all those places we saw those birds are now gone. They're all under concrete, which is a bit sad. But, uh, yeah, I've, I've so I've always been interested in birds. I've, I've had my fair share of bird chasing, twitching, we call it here. I've done my fair share of uh, counting birds on lakes and all that sort of thing. So you know, I've, my, my entire life has been um, sort of fairly involved with birds, but I've never been employed um, to do anything, except when I was in Brazil, I did some guiding. But I've never been employed to to uh, by, by an organisation uh, to do with birds. It's always been voluntary or just recreational. And um, so, you know, it, 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 was a, it, it was an evolution, if you like, sort of through these various stages and eventually sort of coming to conservation uh, where we are today, where we, we run this um, voluntary charity. We don't pay ourselves anything. It's a voluntary charity called Way to Quest, as you mentioned, um, you know, dedicated to shorebird con- conservation. Waders and shorebirds are, are synonymous, those two words, so it means the same thing. So basically, very quickly, that's how we got to where we are today. You know, just uh, looking on the birds of the world, it's a bird I'm familiar with, you know, in terms of not not as I've, I haven't seen it um, one day, is the spoonbilled sandpiper. It's, it's absolutely, it's such a fascinating bird, you know, just in terms of that, like, bird with a little bit of a spoon almost like a little miniature spoonbill so yeah just t- tell us about the spoonbill sandpiper for a moment you know before we move on tell us what makes this bird so special you know somebody who might have never seen a spoonbill sandpiper i mean this is a fascinating little bird tell us about this bird and the conservation status what what, what can you tell us about a spoonbill sandpipers i mean you fell in love with the bird what made you fall in love with this specific species that eventually took you on a journey to where you are today? Well, it, 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 it'll evolve a bit of a confession. We, we were in the process of moving back to the UK from uh, Brazil, um, where you know, we'd been living there for about five years, and we were coming back because my parents were getting elderly and needing some support. So we, we decided to come back to the UK uh, to be near them or with them. And... Um, at that time, this was around 2010, 2011, we were sort of planning all this. Around about that time, the the news sort of disseminated out to to, to say that the spoonbilled sandpiper could be extinct within five years if something wasn't done about it. Now, here's the confession. My first thought was, well, I ought to go and see one of those before it becomes extinct, which is a completely selfish way of looking at things. But in, in mitigation, um, the, the, the same thing had happened with Slenderbill curlews in the 1990s when I, when I sort of hoped to go and see them when they were a place called, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, Merjazerga in uh, Morocco. And they were the last known sort of few birds were there. And every time I arranged a trip to go, something happened to prevent me going. And eventually they stopped appearing at Merjazerga and they're 
almost certainly extinct now. And that having happened to me, I, I thought, well, I, you know, I, I, a spoonbill sandpiper, just to look at it, you can see that it's there's something special about it. And so when we got back to the UK, um, we decided that we would make a trip to Thailand with a view to seeing them there because they were they, they were present uh, about three birds at a place called Pactale. And uh, so we, yeah, well, that was it. We decided we were going to see it. Now, being birders and being desperate to see this bird, of course, we made every effort to get as much information as we could about this bird um, to uh, maximise our chances of seeing it. And it was during that sort of process of learning as much as possible about the bird that we attended a, a talk given by a chap called um, Nigel Clark of the BTO. He's now retired, but he's still heavily involved with the Spoonbill Sandpiper um, uh, team. And it, during that talk, Elise and myself, in, quite independently, went through a transformation. We went in there with a view to getting as much information as possible to give us the, the, ch the best chance of seeing one. And we both came out afterwards as people who had decided that actually wouldn't it be rather better if we tried to see if there was something we could do to stop it happening in the first place so you know we weren't anymore just people interested in seeing one and ticking it off suddenly we wanted to be one of those people that had tried to do something to stop it becoming extinct in a nutshell that was how way to quest actually started because it was it, we decided that raising money was about the only thing we could do and at the time slimbridge uh, in here in the wildfire and wetlands trust were um planning a, a captive breeding program and so we thought well let us try and raise some funds and donate those funds to that um that project and see if we could be a part of that and that was really how it all started and and, and um you know, the quest itself was a series of trips around the world, which, um, you know, almost certainly couldn't happen these days. But the way the way we did it, we just zooped off into different places around the world uh, to see as many waded species as possible. All paid for by ourselves, I should point out. Uh, we, we didn't use any of the money we raised to, to for our expenses or anything like that. And people bought into this idea a bit and... and um, and, and sent us donations, and we we made around about three three and a half thousand pounds at the end. Doesn't sound like a lot of money, and um, but you know, we were quite pleased with that, and and that then all went to the Spoonies. Um, as far as here and now is concerned, you're probably you may be aware that um, that captive breeding program didn't work very well. I think there's only one bird left alive now, and. I, I, it 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 just was too difficult to to simulate the environment and so the environmental factors which go into making a bird like that breed. Um, but a much more successful um, project has been going on out in the out in Russia, which is again now stalled for obvious reasons. Um, where they they were taking it sounds an awful thing to do. They're taking. Um, Spoonbill sandpipers' eggs, the birds would lay four eggs, they would take those eggs and pop them in an incubator. Those birds, if they, if they lose eggs, they will usually lay a second clutch. As 
uh, you know, the, 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 the period of time passes and the birds have chicks and so on, they're less likely to relay. So if you get them straight away, um, they they are likely to relay and then hopefully they'll have a chance of of, of um, hatching their, their chicks out in the wild, which is a tall order for them. But these four that have been taken and put in captivity in, into an incubator, they always, almost always hatch. And, of course, they are then nurtured in cages until they have fledged, and then they are released back into the wild. And this has been very, very successful. And a, a lot of birds, I, I, I'm not going to give you a number because I don't know what the latest is, but I'm, I'm pretty sure over 100 birds have been raised this way now over the years and put back into the wild. And I, I, one particular story I remember very clearly, they took the four eggs, they hatched those four eggs, those four eggs all uh, fledged and they released them. And this wild pair, they also raised all four chicks to fledging, which is almost unheard of in the wild for these little birds. So that particular nest that particular year ended up raising eight new birds, which is really quite fantastic. Um, then still declining, but they're declining at a much slower rate due to the help that are being given. But one of the most important things is the conservation of habitats, because you can you can sling out as many young birds as you like. If the habitat isn't right for them, if they can't feed, if they can't migrate properly, if they can't rest, if they can't breed these things change and they can't do that, then of course, you know, the same would be true of human beings. We'd all be heading for extinction. And that that really is, is the crux of it. It's not it's not the killing of birds which causes them to become extinct. It's the lack of recreating birds more quickly than the elder ones are dying off. If they're not doing that, then they're heading for extinction. So um, there is cause for some optimism about the the spoonbill sandpipers the work is ongoing it's, it's fantastic what they've done um but with caution because they are still declining albeit at a slower rate i thought i'd better say this because last week we had an episode where we had the best five south african green and gold birds taking on the best new zealand all black birds and we kind of used as an oracle of truth we said that whichever whichever has whichever country has the better of the two birds will win the world cup and well, our prediction was right, and South Africa are the 2023 World Cup rugby champions. Hope we can be the cricket champions. We'll get a, an episode around that. But the reason I say that is one of the birds that I was introduced to, which is a bird that sadly I've never heard about. And it's interesting because I've never heard about this bird, but I've heard about this bird twice in the, the last week and a half, uh, is the black stilt. And you know, for people that, you know, well, let me talk more from a Southern Hemisphere, well, from a, a, a South African perspective, yeah? A lot of the waders we get, I know it's a little bit different in the Northern Hemisphere and they get their beautiful breeding plumage, but in the Southern Hemisphere, unfortunately, in, well, in, in South Africa, many times we have quite drab waders. But this black stilt is this absolutely spectacular bird. I mean, you know, it's almost like the, the eyes, like the way I can explain to a South African bird, it's almost like a dronga. And then it's like this... Big black oyster catcher, plover, dronga, fly, fly catcher all thrown together. And it's this absolutely spectacular bird. You know, it's one of those birds that's become very high on my list. It's a bird I want to see. But again, you spoke about there's just two things. I learned last week that this bird is critically endangered, number one. 
and on your website today the uh the the way to quest website which is something interesting again is that black stilts only cling to existence due to captive breeding so again this beautiful bird is actually facing extinction if we don't do anything about it indeed they, they, they I mean, incredibly in the wild population they got down to i can never remember if it's 23 or 27 but to be honest, the difference is, is minuscule when it comes to a population of birds in the wild. And that's how many birds there were left in the world. Absolutely incredible. And and yet the the, 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 the good people of New Zealand um, have have made such an effort to, to to turn that around. Now they've been breeding those birds in good numbers each year. And indeed, when when I went to um, when we went to New Zealand, we actually came across a group of, of these young birds that hadn't long been released. And 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 what they do is they once they release them, they they nurture them for a bit, they feed them for a while, so they, they sort of find their feet, so to speak, and eventually they they disperse. But the attrition rate is actually very high. And again, I, you know, I may not have the the most accurate number, so if there's any. New Zealanders out there who know different, uh, please let me know. But I believe there's probably, only, I believe there's only around 150 to 170 adult birds out there now, um, despite the numbers of youngsters that have been put out. So, you know, it, it it is one of those things that if we were to stop doing it, they would, I'm pretty sure, almost certainly become extinct very quickly. And you know there are arguments to say, well, you know, is it is it the right thing to do, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Well, in my view, yes, it is absolutely. Imagine a world without a black stilt in it. It just it doesn't bear thinking about. As you say, they are the most lovely looking birds. I mean, stilts in general. The avocets and stilts are a fantastic family, but the black stilt has got just just something about it, and. Uh, I know that there's a, there's a vote at the moment for um, is it bird of the year or I think it may be bird of the century in New Zealand um, that they're doing and and uh, if you if you're able to vote for that vote for the kaki as they call it the uh, the black stilt because that would be a fantastic bird to be their bird of the century imagine it's a conservation success story of sorts and therefore you know it would be fantastic so go go and find out about that and and see if you can can vote. As always, the Birding Life is proud to be associated with Sarofsky Optic, one of the world's leading producers of binoculars, monoculars, and spotting scopes, as well as the Bird Lasso bird logging app. Spot, plot, play a part. Download and install the app to play your part in social conservation. One of the ways that you can help us to keep putting out the content that we are releasing is by supporting our online shop. We sell optics, books, Westerman's products, and a whole lot more. Check out the shop on our website, www.thebirdinglife.com. If you need any help with any of the products, please don't hesitate to email us on info at thebirdinglife.com. We were chatting just beforehand, and my local beach, one of the birds we get you, and you spoke about twitching and that, which is why I bring this in. The I love the fact that when we speak about, you know, we're going to talk about the event we're doing, the Waiter Conservation World Watch. We'll talk about that in a moment. I don't want to jump to that right now. One of the birds that we get on our local beach is the Bartel Godwit, which is, you know, one of the birds that has this phenomenal migrational uh, you know, it migrates an incredible distance. It's an it's an it's an absolutely amazing bird. It's just for me, it's amazing to think that this bird is found on our beach, but it's also found 
thousands and thousands of kilometers away. But, you know, you spoke about the fact that you've twitched birds before and that kind of thing. But I think it kind of it highlights the fact that waiter conservation, you know, if we don't conserve waiters, you know, a lot of like, we, we you know, I, the, the rhino people are going to get angry with me now. But if, we, if rhinos were to go extinct, which we don't want them to, we support rhino conservation. But if a rhino's were extinct, it really affects where the rhinos are found. But with waders, it has a global impact. And, you know, it, you know, birds almost connect us. And if, for example, if if the Bartel Godwit gets affected here, ultimately it actually has a global impact. And I think that's something why I believe wader conservation and probably on a broader sense, conservation of migrants is is, is that important, you know, in terms of, because obviously these birds play, play an important role in biodiversity ecosystem there's, there's they play some sort of role and if they go extinct they it, it doesn't just affect here it has an effect that's much bigger than just the bird you're sitting in front of you it has an impact like a lot of these birds international impact it absolutely does um actually our friends at global birding say that um there, there's i think the slogan something like birds unite the world and i i think this is fantastic or connect the world but what you're saying is absolutely right, and and here's here's one of the difficulties. You know, traditionally we've we've always thought, well, we must protect where these birds breed because obviously they need to breed, and we've protected very much. You know, winter places, you know, estuaries and so on, are, are well known places for these birds. But what hasn't really happened as much as it should have done, and we're now waking up to this, is protecting the bits in between. Now, if you take your your bar-tailed gobbets, they are they are birds that migrate huge distances, and um, they do the do it in a short number of flights. Um, you may be aware that the, the the subspecies Bowery that breeds in Alaska winters in New Zealand and flies there direct, thirteen thousand kilometers or whatever it is across the Pacific without stopping for eight and a half, nine, ten days absolutely phenomenal now the birds that get to you they haven't flown quite that far without stopping but they do fly huge distances and so the places where they stop are absolutely vital to them you take out one of those and the birds cannot migrate any further and as there are very few of them in the case of the bartel godwit for example um you know those places become highlighted as, as really important places to conserve if you take a, a species like a ruddy turnstone i don't know if they get down as far as as you um but if you take a species like that when they migrate they do it in short hops which adds a little bit to the sort of makes it a little more awkward because there's more places you've got to conserve but each one is slightly less crucial if i can put it like that it doesn't that's not quite what i'm trying to say but um, you know, if if the birds over, don't find what they want after a short hop, they can actually recover quite quickly and move and move on. Whereas the bartel gobwits, they will not be able to do that because they have such fast distances to travel. Um, and so, yeah, this this idea. Uh, you know, we I've got a huge library of bird books, and I've got dozens of books that say British birds, and it. You know, in, in the old days, if they occurred in Britain, they were British birds. And it's very hard for me to think of these birds as British birds now. They are not British birds. They are birds. They are global birds. They're, they're not ours. They're not South African. They're not 
they're not anybody else's. They are that they, they belong to themselves, and we are honoured with their presence. That's the way I feel about it. And uh, and so what you're saying is absolutely right. You know, we we have to maintain these flyways. We have to maintain these corridors that the, these these birds fly down, and these stopover points are as crucial as any breeding or wintering uh, area we, we we now know. So yeah, the talking about the Bartel Godwit, the Birds of the World website, this is what they say, perhaps no aspect of the Bartel Godwit's natural history is, is as compelling as the fall migration of the North American form. I'm not going to say the, the Latin name because I'm going to butcher it. It says this, after breeding across the subantarctic and arctic tundra in the western and northern Alaska, nearly 100,000 individuals depart from the Bering Sea coast of Alaska in September or early October, many apparently on a non-stop flight to Australia or New Zealand, a distance of 11,000 kilometers. That's insane. I mean, it just, again, highlights just just how special these birds actually are. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's it's absolutely amazing and just makes you love waders even more when you, you get that kind of information. But, you, t- you know, Ruddy Turnstones were probably a, one of my favorite waders that we get. You know, we, we speak about the fact that I love waders before I say this next statement, but they a lot of them are quite drab and plain. Their, their beauty is not always in their, their plumage in, in, in South Africa. But the Bartel Godwood is, uh, not the Bartel, the um, Ruddy Turnstones, one of those birds that just has this absolutely stunning plumage it's one of my favorite 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 birds and it's one of those birds we in south africa you know in certain you've you've you know in certain like rocky areas they they're quite common you have to you know if you get to these rocky areas in certain places that's like normally you find them but like very very cool birds like they, they luckily they, they're more one of our more colorful colorful species in in south africa so we were obviously chatting about the we want to chat about the waiter conservation world watch which is taking place this weekend been taking place the 4th and 5th of november it's been taking place over many years Tell us about the Wader Conservation World Watch. Uh, tell us what this is all about. And originally, it, we, we decided that when we had the um, anniversary of, of the sort of beginning of Wader Quest, which was on the 1st of November um, in, in uh, um, 2012, um, we decided, you know, that, that perhaps we ought to celebrate our anniversary each year by doing something. And... For some reason, because our, our our interest in waders is is not very parochial, it's global. We thought, well, perhaps we should have a a, a world watch, a world wader watch, is what we had planned, and we were we were busy planning it, and 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 it was just literally there's going to be people just to, it's very interested to go and go and look at waders. In the meantime, um, somebody else invented a thing called World Shorebirds Day which sort of happened about a month and a half before we were about to launch our World Wader Day. So it kind of stole, stole, our, stole our thunder a little bit. And um, so we were, a bit, we were a bit perplexed and thought, well, we need to change our tack a little bit. And so we said, well, we're more interested in conservation than we are in ticking things off. So let's make it about that. Let's make this a Wader conservation uh, world watch you know so people will go out and look at waders or shorebirds if that's what you prefer to call them as some do and um, in doing so we thought that we, we would encourage people to do so as a way of demonstrating that they are aware of the problems that waders face throughout the world and let's face it if it if a habitat exists that has waders in it then it is almost certainly in some way threatened. 
Um, I, I won't go into too much detail there, but basically anywhere you find waders, there, there are threats to that sort of that habitat. And uh, we thought, well, you know, we need to make sure that people are aware of that and we want people to care about that. And at the same time, we thought there's nobody out there saying thank you. Thank you to all those thousands of people out there who are doing something. They may be volunteers sitting and watching a nest during the day to ask people to not run their dogs on that beach or drive further up the beach on their 4 by 4 which I know in South Africa you thankfully don't allow anymore, which is a fantastic thing. And congratulations to you for doing that. But it's those people. And then there's the, the, the paid conservationists that, that spend their entire careers helping and, and working with, with uh, endangered species to try and make sure that they survive. And then there are the researchers, because without the researchers, you won't know what to do. And it's a bit like, a, I always liken it to going to the doctor. If you walk in through a doctor's door and he says, oh, here's some pills for you, without ever finding out what your problem is, they're not necessarily going to do you much good. And conservation's the same. You have to find out what the problem is before you can um, diagnose, uh, sort, of, uh, sort of give any effort to what remedial um, work you're going to do. And so all of those people across the board are so crucial to what happens to waders that we thought, well, nobody's saying thank you to these people. So let's make it about that too. So Wader Conservation World Watch is about standing up to say, I care. And that, you know, I appreciate the fact that all these people are doing what they're doing. And in order to do that, all you have to do is have fun, i.e. go out wherever you want to and see waders and then just tell us what you've seen, where you saw it and with whom, because it's very important for us to know who is involved. Because every year we print a, a roll of honour with the names of every single participant in the world on it. And just to say thank you to those people for standing up to say that they care. And of course, we collate all the, the wader records and, and so on and so forth. And uh, some interesting birds have been found as a result of people going out looking at waders. And the crucial thing is if people say, oh, well, I don't I don't get many waders near me. Um, so it's not much point. Well, that's not the point at all. The point is, if you care about waders, you Go out, and if you see one species of wader and tell us about it, your list is as valid as someone who's been out to Pak Tale in, in, in Thailand and seen 30-odd species. It's the same thing for us, the same importance. It's getting out there and, and saying you care. And we have, a, we have a little saying here at Wader Quest, and it is that caring is the first step to conservation. Because if you don't care... You're never going to do anything about it. So that's really what Way to Conservation is all. Way to Conservation World Watch is all about. It's all about people getting out there and and showing that they they care about waders. And I'm going to ask the question. This question for this, you know, obviously a lot of our listeners are avid birders, but there might just be someone who stumbles across this who's maybe not as avid a birder as somebody else, and they might ask the question. I'd love to get involved, but. How do you define a wader? Because obviously, you know, we're going to go out birding this weekend. We're going to record, record. How do you, you know, how would we define a wader? Because a lot of 
you know the, the you know when we're talking about a lot of these birds we straight away think oh these are all birds that are found on the coastal area so if i live inland there's possibly no waders there and we know there are waders how, how would you define what a waiter is i know it's not an easy question to answer but how would you in a broad sense define so somebody's listening said they know what they're looking for <laughs> i was well, i was going to when you said define a waiters i was going to say how long is this podcast for goodness sake it's impossible to define what waiters are except by perhaps quoting not quoting but uh, using scientific terminology the charadri so what we're talking about here are everything from uh, jacanas through um, oyster catchers, stilts, avocets, plovers, courses, pratting coals, sandpipers, and that includes the things like curlews, gobwits, um, snipes, uh, and even in, in South America, you've got things like the um, uh, uh, seed snipes, which are considered to be waders. They don't look much like waders, as indeed the jacanas don't look much like them. But they are a very specific uh, group. And, and if, if you're in doubt as to what counts as a wader, go to waderquest.net and you will see all of the all the species, all the families are all listed there in, in the, um, you know, we have a, 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 a uh, what do you call it? Uh, uh, there's a page, well, a page which leads to a list of all the different species with pictures of them and so on and so forth. And we're gradually putting information about the species there as well. Um, so if in doubt, have a look at WaderQuest and then you'll be able to see. Now, the, the funny thing is that in America, for example, we get sometimes get lists from people in America who send things with ibises and herons and cranes because, let's face it, they wade. But they're not part of this group of, of, of taxa that, that, are, that are defined as waders. Um, and so there is a bit of confusion with what a wader is and what a shorebird is. Um, but you know, they, they are one and the same thing, uh, really. So as you quite rightly said, not all waders wade. How you take some of the, uh, for example, uh, spotted thickney to use something, I think you would probably call it spotted dickup, I don't know, um, that you would have in South Africa. Well, they never go anywhere near water. They, they never wade. They're running around in the savannas, as do courses. Uh, and so it's it's difficult to define what they are because, you know, some have beaks that go up, some go down, some go sideways, like the rye bill from New Zealand. So there really isn't something you can put in a nutshell. And as I say, if you want to know, go to waderquest.net and then you'll find out. So the next question I'm going to ask you, because I'm almost sure when I put this on social media, someone's going to ask this question. Can you use, I saw on the thing that you use uh, eBird to do the list. Can you use the BirdLasser app also, or do you have to use eBird? Right. Okay. Um, no, you don't have to use eBird. eBird is probably the easiest way of doing it because all you have to do is share with um, Wader Quest team all joined together and Wader Quest and team, each of those words, although they're joined together, is capitalized. You'll, you'll be able to find it. And it's very easy to share things on that. Um, but um, we know that um, a lot of people are also doing it. Um, uh, sorry, what's the, na the, the name of the app? Bird Lesser. Bird Lesson, yes, thank you. I, I, unforgivable that I forgot because they've been helping us for a number of years now. And through um, 
Way to Quest South Africa, which is a, a group of friends of ours, the Ertleys and the Charlans in Johannesburg, they have been working with Birdlasser to collect um, lots of um, uh, uh, results and so on and, and collate them, help us to, to collate them. And it's, they've been fantastic, actually, because they, they've got people from all over South Africa, but also Mozambique, Botswana, Namibia, Angola, um, I think Kenya last year. This year, I believe they got somebody in Nigeria and Uganda. I mean, they, they work really, really hard to try and make uh, Way to Conservation World Watch a success in the Africas and in Africa. And it's, it's fantastic what they do. And they use bird lasser. So, yes, you can use bird lasser. Um, I don't know enough about it to know how that works. Um, you can you could try um, contacting Birdlasser and and say you no, know, I'd like to take part in this. How how does my data get used um, for that? And they will undoubtedly point you in the right right direction or pass on your data to Sue Ertley, who's the one who collates it all for us at Way to Quest South Africa. Oh no, that's awesome! I encourage everyone to get involved. Uh, you know, as we've heard. The way to conservation is a worldwide quest, and we encourage every every listener to get involved. You know, as you go out birding, just record the birds you get to see and take note to the waders that you get along the way. But yeah, just I thought just a, a last question. You were speaking about books, and you know, you obviously got quite a decent book collection. So for listeners, and this is you know, you know, you spoke about there's a global. A lot of the shorebirds or the waders we get to see are you know we can they're global. So in terms of your wader books. What are some wader books that you would recommend? So if somebody says, Shis, I want to get a couple of books to get my wader collection going, what are some books that you would recommend? I know this is a hard question. It's like asking you to choose your favorite your favorite child. It's really a difficult question. But what are some wader books that you would recommend that are some of your, your favorite books are you've got on waders? Well, straight away, I can say you're, you're lucky because you're, you're in South Africa. Because to me... The very best wader book ever written is uh, Waders by Francie Peacock. It is it is everything a, a, a book about waders ought to be. It is not only informative about how, uh, and then the illustrations are first class. It's informative about the birds, but it gives you so much background information as well about sort of, sort of bits of culture and 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 also sort of the behaviour and and it, it is an absolute gem and if all books were written that way um then then the world would be a, a, a wonderful place um but it's it's very difficult because if it, it where you happen to be you may find that there are particular books I, the northern hemisphere has got lots of books written about it uh, about the waders um you know there's there's uh, richard chandler's book and and um uh, um you know, there, there's uh, the, the Shorebirds Guide from from North America and so on and so on. Lots of books about uh, the Northern Hemisphere, but not so many about the Southern Hemisphere. So I, I feel you guys have been a bit bit um, badly treated in that respect. There are books about Australian uh, shorebirds or waders, uh, one of which, one of my favourites, is by uh, Clive Minton, uh, who unfortunately is no longer with us. Uh, that's, a, that's a really lovely book about waders is not a guide though so much and south america is really very poorly covered um you know it it it, there there really should be a a book all about the breeding birds or breeding waders or shorebirds of south america because they got some really nice 
looking waders there, but uh, unfortunately there's not a book that really covers them properly. Um, so if you're in South Africa, I would recommend Fonsie Peacock. And even though it's very old, Shorebirds um, uh, is it's it's um, still one of my favourite go-to books uh, whenever I'm looking for that. But I, I must admit, my collection is rather more antiquarian, and I, I've got lots and lots of older books that um, which which absolutely fascinate me. The, you know, the evolution of the science of it all is, is what really um, gets me going. So um, yeah, that that that's it's not much of an answer because it's difficult because there isn't really anything that covers things globally which is as good as as Peacock's book. I would agree that Fancy Peacock's book is amazing. Another really good book we got in South Africa is a book by on shorebirds, or I don't know if it's shorebirds or wait, I think it might be called Shorebirds, by Steve Davis and I think it's Roy Cahill. I might be saying his surname wrong, but really an, a very simple book, but a good book. But just uh, Fancy Peacock, if you actually go the the Firefinch app, you actually go to the species there. They actually have, the, he quite conveniently, this is quite for South African people, um, he has he basically divides and plunges swimmers, and then there's actually a section called waders. So if you're unsure what a wader is, you can actually just see he lumps all the waders together, and he says there's about 118 waders in South Africa. So yeah, um, you get how fancy peacocks firefish amp it will obviously help you to find the the right birds. But uh, Rick, it's been awesome to chat to you. I think we must do an episode one day on your book collection. I think it'd be quite a bit of fun get a couple of people to speak about the books they love, but it's been awesome to chat to you. And again, we encourage people to link up, uh, take part in this weekend's Wader Conservation World Watch. We'll put all the links in the notes to the show so you can go into the notes of the show. But just, yeah, just uh, just before you go, thanks so much, Rick. What is your website again, just in place, just in case people want information? What is the website that people can go onto to get further information if they would like to participate? Um, so the, the website is uh, www.wadequest.net. That is, that is the thing. I, I, I would also like to point out that not everybody uses eBird or BirdLasser. Some people prefer to do things the old-fashioned way. So if you do go to our website and you find the page to do with Wader Conservation World Watch by going through the events um, page, you will find on there that there is also a submission form. So if that if you prefer to do things that way, you can just fill out the form, press submit, and we, we will get that. Um, or um, again, I, I'll, I'll give you the the information to put on your thing. You you can email wcww at waderquest.net and we will get the email. And we encourage people also to send photographs of themselves and also any birds that they photograph, but always, always make sure that the bird is not um, compromised in any way. Don't try and get too close just to get a good photo for us. We'd rather the bird had a happy life. Um, so there, so that that's it. So it's waderquest.net is our um, website. Thanks, Rick. I really appreciate you being on the show. Um, it's been uh, great to chat to you and look forward to having a chat again and also just maybe getting some feedback on how it went this weekend. Thanks again for being on the show. Well, thank you very much for asking me. It was a great pleasure and um, and I could talk about waders all night long. So uh, I'm in, in my element here. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this week's show. We really appreciate your support. If you have any comments or feedback on any of the episodes, 
feel free to drop us an email on info at theburninglife.com or send us a message on any of our social media platforms. We would love to get to know you better. So until next time, be blessed and happy burning.